KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Biden administration now focusing on infrastructure on the legislative front. The president has put forth a more than $2 trillion proposal, the American Jobs Plan, which is ambitious in many ways. One of the really interesting and important ones is the way it addresses the environment and climate change in macro and micro levels on just about every front. Wanted to talk more about that specifically, so we reached out to Dr. Samantha Chapman. She is a professor of biology at Villanova University, also co-director of the Center for Biodiversity and Ecosystem Stewardship. Really important conversation. Give a listen. For the purposes of this conversation, I don't want to talk about what will pass, what won't, the politics. I want to look at strictly through kind of uh, the climate change slash environmental uh, lens because when you read about the plan, when you look at what the focus is, the Biden administration worked really hard to make sure that climate change, the environment, is connected to virtually everything, no? Correct. And I think they've said that climate change was going to be in all portions of their agenda, and they are doing a good job, particularly with this bill, in doing that. So there's two big parts of climate change. The way I like to think about it is preventing more climate change and adapting to climate change. And both of those are in this bill. When you look at this, what are the most, for lack of a better term, impressive things, the the, the, the ideas that could have the biggest impact in the fight against climate change and in protecting the environment? So I'll start with climate change. So um, the to me, the grid is a big part of this bill. The grid in which will allow us, not only are there tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of vehicles that will be converted to electric school buses and federal vehicles and all kinds of things. But perhaps more importantly is the investment in the grid that will allow us as normal people that don't drive these commercial vehicles or federal vehicles to actually have vehicles that we can easily hang out at a, a, what used to be known as a gas station, but will now be a charging station with a good cup of coffee and sit there while our vehicle charges. And I think that investment in terms of actually bringing down emissions is going to be one of the biggest things because that's been a huge hindrance, right? We don't have the grid to actually have electric vehicles. So that's a big one. How big a, a game changer, can you give me some context if we, you and I have a talk, say, five, seven years from now, and we've gone from whatever the percentage of the population that drives electric vehicles to a place where maybe it's half? 60 percent. How big an impact does that have on the environment? So transportation is in the U.S., you know, a big part of our emissions, particularly we're a car loving country. Right. So it does have a big impact. It is not the whole game by any means. People that know way more about this than I are thinking a lot about this, you know, sort of what's the next step. If we get to the point where we don't have coal fired power plants anymore and we drive electric vehicles, what else is there? So of course we know renewables are a big part of that solution in Pennsylvania, right? Tom Wolf just created the biggest state investment in solar in the United States, which is kind of surprising considering it's in Pennsylvania where there's not that much sun, but it just shows you how far solar has come. And we're going to have these seven big arrays now in the U.S. that people are going to be able to use that renewable energy. So that too 
is a big deal because that takes out the emissions from power plants, right? From coal-fired power plants, things like that. So yeah, I think I think the transportation can't be the whole piece of it. The electricity generation is another one. And the other pieces like efficiency and things like that are also in this bill. And that's one of the things that's interesting is I mentioned how everything's connected. And there will obviously be a lot of focus from an environmental standpoint on things like the, you know, electric car, stuff like that. But they seem to, everybody wants to hit a home run. And it seems like in this plan, they are also working to get a lot of base hits where something that's not going to turn a lot of heads, but just with what the type of cement that's used to build the new bridge stuff, all these little things uh, kind of combined could almost be as big as something like getting three quarters of the country to drive electric cars. No, I think you're right. And I think that they're being smart about it. And cement is one of these like future things that we need to think about, right? How do we build cement? How do we make steel? I think you're right because I think the renewable energies thing is already moving down the pike, right? Corporations want that to happen. They're moving, they're adjusting their business model. So now it's sort of like, so what can the government do on top of that? And you're right. Some of these um, building affordable housing, right? That's a huge investment in this bill and 2 million structures to either build or retrofit affordable housing that will be energy efficient, right? So that's, that's something that's, that's a pretty, that's a double or a triple, right? That's a pretty big thing, I think. Um, and to me, and this is sort of my position as kind of a coastal, a coastal scientist is I feel like once we get to the point where we're getting down the road with some of these base hits towards the prevention of climate change, our next big problem is the adaptation of climate change. And there's a lot of base hits and other kinds of hits in there uh, in this bill on that, on that piece of things. What so are do, some, do you want me to yeah, to that point, yeah. what, what, what are some of the ones that really stand out to that? Yeah. So one of the things I work on is, you know, sea level rise and coastal communities. And as you can imagine, the most vulnerable people often live in the most low lying areas. And so this is on the coast, but it's also in cities and other places where it's low lying area. And so it floods, right? Their houses flood all the time. We know this has happened to tons in the Midwest, but it's also happened here in the Northeast with Sandy and other places or other big storms. So this bill actually has a bunch of money in it to actually go into those vulnerable communities and help shore them up against flooding, against sea level rise. And in the West, for example, where people are dealing with droughts and fires and bad air quality because of that, it's going into those communities and finding ways to either buffer them against these forest fires or actually treat the forest themselves so that we have less of those fires. There was something interesting, and I don't know if you don't, you know, we don't have to focus on it. But I saw something about $10 billion put aside for what they're calling the Civilian Climate Corps. That would be what do you are you familiar with that? And, and I'm kind of fascinated by the idea they would be basically aimed at training the next generation about the importance of the environment and climate change and how to how to try to combat it. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating idea, you know, with the, you know, the Peace Corps kind of being the model, of course, for something like this, right, which was instituted in, I think, in the 60s. Kennedy did it, I believe. So the idea here is that this Corps would be not just about climate change and sort of training people about the importance of this and that climate adaptation, but it was also be about preserving land and water. And this is one of those things where there's been a lot of talk in like circles that I follow or people that I follow that talk about 
what is infrastructure? Is clean air infrastructure? Is clean water infrastructure? And we know that natural ecosystems, and we have a lot of them in the U.S. still, thankfully, um, kind of give us a buffer against climate change in lots of ways. But this core would actually be involved in conserving and restoring some of these public lands to actually help us adapt to climate change. And so I think it's a fantastic idea, right? And in the, in the total scheme of things, $10 billion isn't that much, that much money in a $2 trillion bill or whatever it's going to be. But I think it would actually, like you said, kind of set up a whole new group of people to actually do this kind of work, which is one of my biggest concerns is as we're moving down the pike towards understanding what we need to do with climate change and our public lands and conservation and, ecosystem restoration. We don't have enough people trained. I can't train enough students fast enough to do that kind of work. And so I think that's a really great investment. And to that point, it also looks like there's money in the proposal to take people who are working in fossil fuels now and kind of deploy them to like cap unused wells, clean up abandoned coal mines, kind of put a put a bow maybe on the fossil fuel the history of fossil fuel but do it in the right way and don't just leave these things kind of sitting out there i think there are many politicians who have come to realize our neglect of rural america right and some of these fossil fuel industries like here in pennsylvania right we have a big one so you can't just shut these people's livelihoods down and say like okay good luck right or just give them a payout people want to have jobs, right, that fulfill them. And so I think this is a fantastic idea. And it is akin to some of what was done with technology training of people before, you know, the 90s, where the economy was soaring because of all the, you know, the new digital jobs, I think, and the training that went into in the early 90s into a lot of people to do that work. And I think similarly, this training of people in cleaning things up and in these renewable energy jobs, the solar technician is the fastest growing job in the United States right now. There's some statistic like that, right? So I think, yeah, these training programs will be awesome to help with jobs. And there's a lot of jobs in this bill, a lot. Yeah, and to that point, one of the things you've heard over the years, not maybe yet on a loud, on a large scale with this, is whenever people talk about climate change, there's a lot of people banging the drum for you know, well, what about all these people in these industries? They're going to lose their jobs. It seems to me if you do it right, yes, there will be job loss. No question about it. But you should be able to surpass that and then some coming out on the other side with building, training, transitioning, stuff like that. Uh, and yet I don't – until now, I never heard that side pushed it was always the focus on the job loss rather than well this stuff doesn't build itself it doesn't create itself we're going to need maybe those people to do this and i think that was just a good branding job by the fossil fuel industries right because i've always thought you know anytime there's a huge transition in history to something new there's lots of jobs right war efforts things like this and so yeah i think there will be tons of jobs i'll just give you an example of two ways one is laying all these broadband lines, right? So there's something like 35% of rural America that doesn't have reliable broadband access. And part of this bill that doesn't have to do with climate is to provide that. But if you can imagine that those jobs would be actually laying those lines is a big part of that. But also the fact that rural America can have broadband more access that will allow for more remote work jobs, right? Which we know would be useful in those kinds of areas as well. So yeah, I think there's all kinds of ways in which this, bill will 
focus on the middle class, right? There's a huge focus on the middle class and building a good middle class jobs in this bill. Are there other environmental ideas, climate change ideas that we haven't talked about that you're really excited about the possibilities that are included in this? Yeah. So one of the things that I think about all the time is once we are past this, this is my job as a scientist, right? Just to think about like, what's the next big problem that we need to solve? And to me, it is that once we get to the point where we have brought our emissions down and we're like around two degrees Celsius, which is still not great, you know, of warming, but we don't get into three or four. The next big problem is we still have a massive amount of degradation of land. And some of the feedbacks that are built into our ocean systems and land systems are still broken, even if we fix climate change, because in many ways that's engineering solutions. And so to me, one of the cool things that's in this bill is the focus. And it's a little bit vague at this point. I'll, I'll dive into the fine print on this to really see, you know, like, there's talk of restoration of land and water because is clean water infrastructure, is land infrastructure. We know that it is because we rely on it to regulate our climate. We rely on it to give us, we rely on forests to give us clean water. You know, the best examples in the Adirondacks. The reason the Adirondacks Park is there is because New York City needs clean water, right? And so similarly, this bill has bits sprinkled into it, at least in my initial reading of it, to actually think about these kind of natural lands infrastructure that will help us deal with other events in keeping our globe like a sustainable place to live. Is there anything you're disappointed is not addressed or not uh, put on as high a priority as maybe you would have liked to have seen? I, I was wondering whether, you know, equity and diversity was built into this and it is. So just to give you an example, you know, there's all these cool ideas about, about public infrastructure in the past in like the sixties. And we've gone down by like 40% in our investment in that or something like that. And like the idea of public pools and things like that, especially in, uh, in communities that have less access to those things. And that's all in there. So I was, I was expecting to be disappointed, but that's there. I am a coastal ecologist, right? I think that salt marshes and mangroves, are really important in buffering our coasts against big storms. So I want to see explicitly that we are going to restore these places in Florida. There's massive areas where we could restore coastal ecosystems. That would be good for biodiversity. It'd be good for people hanging out and kayaking them. And it would help us protect against these big storms that are coming, whether or not we cap our emissions. And so I think that I would like to see more of these green barriers along our coasts rather than big seawalls and things like that. I haven't seen that exactly yet, but again, fine print's not there. The bill's not done. One of the things, one of the reflexive arguments against the proposal is, oh, this is just the Green New Deal. And I don't think that's true. But to the Biden administration's credit, I think they have taken a lot of the furniture out of the Green New Deal house, stuck a different sticker on it, and put it on the truck. Uh, So it doesn't have, for lack of a better term, the political baggage that the, the, the Green New Deal would have when you're trying to get something passed. Um, do you agree with that? I do agree with it. And I, I think one of the, the questions is, how do we get there, right? And I think one thing that's different about this than the Green New Deal is that 
it seems as if they are savvy about the fact that states are already doing a lot of this, right? So like Pennsylvania, many states have already committed to these big reductions in emissions. And so they're sort of assuming that in some cases there will be some regulations, but there's a lot more investment and sort of tax breaks and things like that, that some of those are part of the Green New Deal, but that would is what would differentiate it from the Green New Deal. The rest of it, there's a lot of the Green New Deal in there. We can tell that there's been a lot of people that have brought into the Biden administration that were involved in, in thinking about that. So yeah, I think it's awesome. I think it's great the way they have created kind of a hybrid, a hybrid bill here. And I, I read one, um, Robinson Meyer from the Atlantic said something like, this bill is the the better in the build back better plan that he had, right? This is the climate bill. This is the environmental bill. That's, we didn't, we're not going to talk about likelihood to pass, but it seems pretty promising at this point. And it's interesting, you know, you talk about what is infrastructure and I've always thought infrastructure is what you want it to be. Like Mm -hmm. in the 1850s, interstate highway wasn't infrastructure because there were no cars. I think part of, if you're going to have good infrastructure, you've got to have the imagination to think 20 years down the road. And it, it seems to me they've tried to do a good job of that. And conversely, it's kind of because one of the reflexive arguments you, you hear is, oh, well, all this stuff, that's not infrastructure. Well, it's not roads, trains and bridges. But if you want to have a functioning high level society, you need this stuff. And to me, that's kind of the definition of infrastructure. I think you're totally right. And we've seen in this past year that one of the pieces of our infrastructure, quote unquote, that's broken is caregiving, right? Particularly like child care and elder care. And so there's a lot of that in this bill as well. And so we now know there's big gaps in this in our infrastructure, which allows people to work and allows our economy to function. If we don't have that, then we're not going to move forward. And I'd say the same thing about clean air and water. I mean, when people can't go outside out West because the smoke is so bad. They can't go to work. They can't play. Their kids can't play outside. This is, this is bad for, for their health. And it's also bad for the economy and it's bad for tourism. It's bad for all of these things, right? We, we, I remember being a kid in New Jersey and you couldn't go to the beach because sometimes because it was, you know, needles washing up on the beach, right? Because the water has been cleaned up a lot, some of the bays around us since that time, and that has helped with New Jersey's tourism. Similarly, if we clean things up, it'll help with our infrastructure in that way, too. So to, to wrap things up here, let's live in a world where everything gets through. This entire, <laughs> say it comes in at $2.5 trillion, it gets through. How much better, from an environmental standpoint, is American society, if you and I talk 10 years down the road? I think it's massively better because of what you said about the base hits. I think that this could set in motion some of these feedbacks. There's there's in, there's incentives for small businesses and other companies and buildings to become more efficient. So once that happens, they're not going to go back and be like, you know what, I want to have a higher energy bill and whatever. So I think it could be massively better. I think there's still work to do on you know, things like forests and all kinds of biodiversity and things like that. I th- there's always more work to do, but I think it would be a massive step in the right direction. And then we would have to go to the rest of the world and start doing some work there. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.